want to welcome everyone here tonight. We have a few visitors that we have not seen before. We want to welcome you. Those also that are momentarily jumping on Facebook Live, we are going to do something a little bit different. Well, not really different, but something that I have not really thought about looking at for quite a while. And that is the New Covenant. I want to see tonight and talk about and teach on the allegorical reality of the New Covenant. Now, I'm not going to get into the legal aspects of the New Covenant because we all are pretty familiar with that. But what I'm interested in is simply talking about the allegory, which means what? What is an allegory? Well, an allegory is that which shows us how it is happening on the inside of us. Because what I'm after today is not just an objective reality or what is true of us objectively and has been true of us ever since we came here, was true of us from before the foundation as Ephesians 1, 4, 2 Timothy 1, 9 states that we came here, we were saved, we were made blameless from before time ever began. So we didn't come here lost, well maybe a little lost here between our ears, but we came here upright, Ecclesiastes 7.29 says. We didn't come here as a sinner, and so we need to walk the green mile, confess Jesus as our Savior, and then this man jumps on the inside of us. We've always had Christ in us. We couldn't be alive if we didn't have the life of Christ within us. Now I know there's bios life, there's Zoe life, but where did the bios life come? It came from the Zoe life. So we came here with life. And so someone might say, well then what was the cross for if we came here upright? Well, the cross, the death of Jesus Christ exposed the lies that we embraced. Because when we came here, once we embraced religiosity from the church, from religion, from our parents, our grandparents, the government, our schools, wherever we embraced religiosity, Jesus' death exposed those lies. And aren't you glad? And his resurrection revealed the truth. Aren't you glad? couple meanings of resurrection is to gather our faculties. That's what we're doing. We're yielding the left side and the lower thoughts to our Christ mind on the right side, the masculine principle. Another meaning of resurrection is the discovery of spiritual truth. The Wright brothers did not invent the law of lift. They discovered it. And so we must discover, and we are beginning to discover that we've always been okay. However, after a time, when we were old enough to be able to, you know, understand a few things, what we did was embrace religion. We embraced the lie. And so now we're discovering the truth that has always been the truth about us. And when we embraced the lie, we got amnesia. <coughs> we forgot who we were. And this is why Psalm 22, verse 27 tells us all the ends of the world will remember and turn to the Lord. So what I'm about is not just stopping with our objective reality and thinking, well, when I die, I can experience all of this, or after some so-called rapture of the church, you know, we're going to be in heavenly places and we can experience all of this subjectively. We have been given the opportunity to experience it subjectively in the lovely here and now. Yep. Now is the day of salvation. We do not have to wait. So what I'm about is about fruit that remains. What I am about in teaching and ministry is showing people how they don't have to wait for anything. Right. In the pie in the sky, the sweet by and by. Yes. But that they can 
experience it in the lovely here and now. So we take that objective truth that is true and has always been the truth about us, and we participate with that between our ears. We sow the seed from the masculine principle, the Christ mind, to the feminine principle of the left side. And as we do that, we're participating with the truth of who we've always been, and then we can subjectively begin to walk in it. That's what I'm after. Amen. I'm not about fruit that is here today and gone tomorrow, which is true of the gift realm. Although I'll pray for people and I'll lay hands on people and do whatever it is that they have need of at that time. But yet I do that in knowing that most of that is here today and gone tomorrow. It's short-lived. The healings that Jesus performed, the people got sick again. Those he raised from the dead turned around and died again. Does that mean that the healings and the raising from the dead were corruptible miracles? Not at all. But they were in a duality. Yes. So they didn't keep it. Yes. They were in a duality. And they got healing instead of wholeness. Come on, Kate. Yeah. And so that's where we're at today. Right. Are we going to be a people that are going to move from the objective reality and come into the subjective experience of what is already ours? It's always been ours. Amen. So that's the big $50 million question today. Or are we going to be satisfied with a little here and a little there that's not permanent, that's temporary? So if you have your Bibles or your devices, whatever you use, I'm going to be going and reading from Hebrews chapter 6. And here we find, or Hebrews chapter 8, did I say 6? Hebrews, we'll go to Hebrews 6 shortly. But Hebrews chapter 8. And I'm going to be reading something that the writer of Hebrews penned here. Now, you know, there's a big quandary about who wrote the book of Hebrews. History tells us that it was a woman. Did you know that? I don't know that it names the woman. Some say it was Paul. I don't think anyone really knows. But to me, it kind of sounds like Paul the Apostle. But the writer of Hebrews here begins to set some things in line Concerning the difference between experiencing something that has to do with religiosity, with ordinances, with rules, with regulations, with baptisms, with communions. How many know you can partake of communion and never turn within? That's right. You can be baptized in water and never turn within. That's right. So this is why in chapter 6 he said, let's leave those things now. And let's go to perfection or go to maturity. So I'm going to look at this tonight. And again, we're only going to talk about the allegorical reality, not the legal side of the new covenant, but the allegorical reality of the new covenant. What is it for? Why are we looking at the allegory? So we can walk in it. So it's not just some nice doctrine of Christ, but so we can experience it. And that's why we look at the stories in the scripture, and we've looked at them allegorically. We don't want to stop with the historicity of those stories, but we want to move on, and we want to experience those allegorically within our lives. In other words, we want to experience fruit that remains. We want to be a full expression of Christ that's within us, through us, as us. And that's why we need to move beyond just the history stories, not talking about, but move beyond them into the allegory. Into Jesus always, when he taught, he always talked in parables. Well, what is a parable? Well, I kind of give a carnal example sometimes. If you're driving down the road and you see a McDonald's sign, you're not going to stop at the McDonald's sign and have a Big Mac. 
But you're going to go down to the McDonald's restaurant or store, fast food restaurant. And that's where you're going to have. And see, parables point. Every teaching that Jesus gave was parabolic language, which pointed to something else. In other words, you can't read it on the surface level like you read your daily newspaper and get anything out of it. For example, Revelation, the book of Revelation is symbolic. The word signified means it was written in sign and symbol. So when you see a horse, a white horse, a black horse, a red horse, a pale horse, you don't, you can't believe he's talking about literal horses, you see. But it's symbolic of understanding and strength. So let's, with that in mind, let's read here in Hebrews 8, beginning with verse 1. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. In other words, this is the summation. And the summation that he's talking about was from Hebrews 4, verse 14, all the way up to Hebrews 8 and verse 1. So this is the summation. We have such an high priest who is set on the, notice, right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. So what is it saying? We have a priest, a high priest, who is set on the throne on the right hand. Now let me just say, this high priest, if you're looking at it allegorically, is your Christ mind. The throne, am I taken away from some throne in the heavenly realm? Not at all. But you and I create the throne. What is a throne? It's where you rule from. What are we ruling over? The lower thoughts. Or the left side of mere intellect, reason, human, logic, or ego. Okay? What about the right hand? You can see many places in the scripture where it talks about the right side or the right hand. And what does that represent? When you look north, east is on the right. And east speaks of the dawning of the new day. It speaks of revelation being quickened. So in other words, this high priest here that he's talking about, the right hand, the throne of the majesty in the heavens, heaven is the realm of spirit, including the spirit in you. All of this is happening between our ears. It's all happening in our head. I told you some time ago that we are energy and electrical appliances. You and I are energy and electrical appliances. And remember, recently I told you that as I was speaking with someone back in the foyer of the building here, and they were talking to me about some physical ailments they were going through, all of a sudden it was quickened within me that pain and sickness is misplaced energy. Now, I'm not going to get into that, but that's what it is. It's misplaced energy. Because when the energy fields aren't open, when they're blocked, and the energy is not freely flowing at full force, then guess what? Those blockages can set us up for sickness and disease and all kind of maladies within our physical body. Now, if you want to turn the air down just a little bit, it's just getting a little warm in here, maybe, Pat, turn it down just a little bit, the air back there. Now, here in verse 1 of Hebrews 8, this one verse, we need to look at this one verse very closely. The high priest on the throne at the right hand. Now, in the Old Testament economy, the high priest was the only one that could go into the most holy place. Right. And the most holy place for us is when we yield the left side or the lower thoughts, when we yield them to the most holy place, which is the right side or which is our Christ mind. Now, we read here in verse 1 that it's also that the most holy place is also associated with the word heaven. A lot of people, in fact, the majority of people in the church today believe heaven is someday, some. You know, all 50 
million light years away that we're going to be when we die, and we're going to be walking streets of gold, which the Bible doesn't even talk about streets of gold. It talks about a street of gold, which is a divine walk that we have. But a lot of people believe that heaven is this physical place. Now, don't misunderstand. When people die in their physical body, they go into a dimension called heaven, yes. But for us, heaven is this domain right here on earth. Remember, Jesus said that he was in heaven, and he was standing right on terra firma when he said that. Heaven is the realm of spirit, including the spirit in you and I. So we've got that figured out so far. We've got this high priest. We've got in, in chapter 8 of, of uh, Hebrews, verse 1, we've got the high priest, we've got the right hand, we've got the throne, we've got the heavens. All of it is the right side. Now, let me give you another scripture. If you'll go to 1 Kings 6 and verse 8, and here in 1 Kings 6, 8, it talks about the construction of the temple. And we've gone here quite a few times, but I want us to look at the construction of the temple because where is the temple? You have a temple right here, and you have a temple right here on the right hemisphere or the left hemisphere. So the temple has to do with what is going on within our head, within our Christ mind, within our left side, or even the lower thoughts. So what do we want to do? We want to bring the lower thoughts. We want to bring mere intellect, human reasoning of the left side, ego. We want to bring the logic, natural logic. We want to bring it to heaven. We want to bring it to the most holy. We want to create a throne. We want to rule over those things, you see. So listen, let me ask you this question. Seems like a dumb question to me now. If you didn't have a head, could you experience the presence of the Lord? If we didn't have a brain, could we experience any of that? Absolutely not. Now, where is our heart awareness? A lot of people say, I remember when we raised our kid. Oh, Jesus, our kids, Jesus lives in the heart, and we point here. Well, let me tell you where the heart, that's the physical heart pump. That is a heart. But he, now, he's in our whole being because we're spirit slowed down to visibility. But specifically, where is he? He is in our Christ mind. We'll talk about the words written on our heart and in our mind a little later. But our heart is our awareness. Look it up. It's cardia, and it will give you the meaning of awareness, heart awareness. That's where the heart is. So you have the Christ mind on the right side. On the left side, you have the feminine principle. And in the feminine principle, you also have a place that has never been touched by man that I call the virgin consciousness or the virgin womb. So as we sow the seed from our Christ mind, into our left side of our feminine principle, our Holy Spirit then conceives that word in the womb and quickens it so we can walk it out. Just as easy as we said before, if you can understand that when you take a natural seed and plant it in the ground, it's going to bring forth the stalk, it's going to bring forth the plant, and then it's going to bring forth fruit depending on what kind of a seed that it is. And when Jesus taught the parable of the sower sowing the seed, he called the ground the heart. The left side. The heart awareness. That's the womb of the Father, is our left side. Now, the construction of the temple in 1 Kings 6 a. listen to this. The door for the middle chamber was in the right side of the house. So your right side is your door. The middle chamber is what? It's when the two become one. Subjectively now. They're one objectively already. We'll talk more about that later. They're already one objectively. But when we yield the left side, 
woman yielding to the husband is what it really is. That's what Paul was talking about in Ephesians. He wasn't talking about a literal marriage. He was talking about the wife, the feminine principle, yielding to the husband or the masculine principle. And as that takes place, there's blessing upon blessing that manifests. So here in 1 Kings 6, 8, the door is the right side. The middle chamber is the right side. Now let me talk about a little bit about the throne. And let me just read this from Isaiah 66 and verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. So the throne is the right side. The footstool of the Father is the left side. So when we talk about this door, it's the door to the most holy place. It's the right side going through the door into the virgin consciousness or the virgin womb. It's heaven. It's the high priest. And once we realize this and see what we're reading here in Hebrews chapter 8, once we see this, then we can participate with that. See, we are so powerful, we have no clue. Our Christ mind is so powerful, we, religion has so confused the issue. And so when you teach truth to many people, they think the truth you teach when you teach something like this is the lie because religion has ministered the lie to them for so long. So we want to see this. So Isaiah 66 says, heaven is identified as the throne. So we've got the high priest that's the right side. We've got heaven that's the right side. We've got the throne, which is the right side. And you create that as you join the two together and marry the two together. You've created a throne. A throne is what? A throne is what you rule from. And what are we ruling over but the lower thoughts, the intellect, the reason, the ego, the logic, and so forth. Now, let me sum it up by reading to you Luke 17 and verse 21. And this will really tie together for you. If you think heaven is off yonder somewhere, or if you think that the high priest is denoting some high priest in the Old Covenant. Or if you think heaven is 50 million light years away. Or if you think the throne is off yonder on some planet called heaven. This will do it for you. Luke 17, 21. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Some places it says the kingdom of heaven is within you. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying here in verse 1 is that there is a high priest on the throne, which is in heaven, Isaiah 66, 1, heaven is what? The throne at the right hand, and that heaven and that throne and that high priest is all within us. So if it's within us, let me ask you this dumb question. Where is it in us at? Or where is it at in us? <laughs> right here. Yeah right between our ears. So whether we're referring to the high priest, the throne, the right hand, heaven, or the door, it's the Christ mind. So you have no literal high priest in you. Some man by the name of Jesus did not jump into you. <laughs> some some, listen, some throne is not planted in you. Some literal heaven is not in you, like religion teaches. Heaven is in you, but not yeah. as we're taught. So all of these words in Hebrews 8 and verse 1 are used by the ancients to get us to realize 
that they represent something that's going on between our ears. And when we understand this, and we have learned how to participate with it, then we're going to understand that all we have to do to participate intentionally, let me say this, intentionally, you know, people can hear this word over and over and over for years, but until we intentionally decide that we're going to really participate with it yeah, and turn within through the meditation, we'll never really experience what I'm talking about. We'll never really experience what I'm talking about. And I'm convinced there's some people that have sat here for 34 years and still are not experiencing it. And one of the reasons is because we make it so darn hard on ourselves. Yep. We complicate it. It's so simple. It's like so planting the seed into the ground and it comes up. Yes. That's all we're talking about. And that is the purpose of the Father for us in this hour, is to really get gripped by the understanding that it's just as simple as planting the seed, taking that Christ mind of our right side, planting it into the left side, the feminine principle, the woman, allowing Holy Spirit in us to conceive it in the virgin consciousness or the virgin womb and let it germinate there and it will eventually manifest. It'll manifest, listen, as health, wealth. Well, the scripture says that our Father is all in all. And we have been blessed with all spiritual blessing in the heavenlies and we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. So we lack nothing. So we need to plant that seed into our feminine principle into our virgin consciousness or virgin womb and let it germinate there let it marinate there and I'll guarantee you if we do that turn within in meditation with these truths and contemplation I will guarantee you they will eventually manifest and that's what we want that's what the gospel is all about it's not about hearing a nice little message and go you know going home and saying oh that was great and you never think about it all week you never meditate you never turn within you never contemplate it now, I'm not yelling at anybody. I, I'm saying I've done that for years myself. We've all done it. We've all been there. And religion has confused the issue. Babylon, which means confusion by mixture, has confused the issue. Now, go back to Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 2. Hebrews 8 verse 2. Let's read on here. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which is us, which the Lord pitched, notice, and not man. In other words, this that we're discussing tonight in this message is something that was created by the Father, Father God, our Creator, and not man, as verse 2 talks about. So it has nothing to do with religion, has nothing to do with man, has nothing to do with the 40,000 denominations, has nothing to do with ordinances, has nothing to do with rituals, because you can do all of that and still not turn within and experience a thing. The true tabernacle, as it says here, we are, let me read it again, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched in, not men. The true tabernacle is the right hemisphere of the brain, which only God could give us the Christ mind. Our papa and mama couldn't give us a Christ mind. This is the true sanctuary. The Christ mind is the minister of the true sanctuary. This is the throne when we join the two together. We create a place to rule from. Yes. Rule over what? The stinking thinking. Yes. <laughs> the stinking thinking, the lower thoughts. Stinkin when thinking. we're tempted and challenged to, to live our life and allow intellect alone to rule our life or human reasoning to rule our life or 
logic to rule our life, what do we have to do? We yield that to the Christ mind. And we say, Christ, Father, what do you want? What is your will in this particular situation? So it has nothing to do whatsoever with ordinances, rules, and regulations. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant was led by men and women trying to keep rules and regulations and ordinances. But it's not that way today in the New Covenant because it's not a law, it's a life. Come on, come on. It's a life. It's a Zoe life yes, that is. we are in possession of and always have been in yes. possession of. And the cos listen, the cosmic essence of God created this, and we had nothing to do with it whatsoever. And this is why, listen, this is why religion doesn't want us to get a hold of it, because religion is man-centered. Yes. 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 But there are people that are Christ-centered and want nothing but to experience the Christ. Now, notice that word there, sanctuary, in Hebrews 8 and verse 2, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. This word sanctuary here in verse 2 of Hebrews 8 is, I'm going to call it a refuge. A refuge. So the question is, what are you and I seeking refuge from? Our enemies. And what is our enemy? Our enemy is it's not people. It's the lower thoughts. It's mere intellect, human reasoning, logic, and ego. Now again, we're not trying to get rid of intellect. We need intellect just as much as you need your five senses, five physical senses, just as much as you need your emotions, which remember Dan on the north was emotions, Reuben is on the south according to Numbers chapter 2, which is the physical or the five senses, and then Ephraim was on the west representing natural intellect, reasoning, logic, and I've added ego. So we're not trying to kill them or crucify them or get rid of them, but we're trying to spiritualize them to where, and I've said this before, where your five senses are concerned, you taste that the Lord is good. You happily feel after him. Yes. You have that sense of smell once, once, your, once your smell has been spiritualized, and it just simply means discernment. Yeah. And you have all of that. We're not getting rid. In fact, the left side in and of itself is really an equivalent. It's a helpmeet. Our right side needs the left side as much as the left side needs the right side, just like Adam needed Eve and Eve needed Adam to produce life. And Eve, the helpmeet in Genesis, means an equivalent. So the left side is an equivalent. It just has a role, and the role is to yield to the Christ mind. So our enemies are what? They're not people. They're lower, stinking, thinking thoughts. Stinking, thinking. Like thoughts that come to us, well, you're not this. You didn't come here upright. You came here as a sinner. Yep. You have this problem and you have the other problem. That's yep. stinking thinking. Stinking thinking. And you must draw from, yield that then to the Christ mind and realize he is all in all. All in all. As me. He is my health as me. He is my wealth as me. He's given me all things that pertain to life, natural yep. life, and God in the spiritual life. Yep. See? And so that's the difference. That's why we have to <coughs> yield the stinking thinking to the Christ mind, yield the intellect, the reasoning, yes. the logic, and so forth. Now, how can we validate what I just said? That our Christ mind, or the sanctuary, is our refuge, and what is a refuge is something that you run to when enemies are pursuing you. Yes. So when lower thoughts are pursuing you, you run to the Christ
Christ might. You run to the sanctuary, and to validate that, let me read Romans 8 and verse 7, which says, because the carnal mind. Now, you don't have a carnal mind. <coughs> There's only one mind. We have the mind of Christ. Paul yes. the Apostle said this very explicitly. Yes. We have the, the mind, mind of Christ. You don't have a carnal mind. It may look like you have a carnal mind because you are operating out of carnal mindfulness. Yes. You see? But notice what it says. Carnal mindfulness is enmity against God. Well, God doesn't have any enemies. One poof and everything would be gone, right? So the carnal mindfulness is an enemy of God. It's an enemy against the flow of God in yes. your life. So it'll be a blockage. And then it goes on to say, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So when we're living from the left side in and of itself, what does it do? It blocks the flow of the Christ mind from flowing out of your life. Yes. See, I thought about that one day yeah. and, and got a revelation. I thought, why does the scripture say in Genesis that Adam, the woman who ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, could not partake of the tree of life, lest they live from the tree of life eternally by their left side. That's what it's talking about. That is so It was good. not a threat that if they partake, they can't partake of the tree of life now that they have partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No. Because they would live eternally out of the left side in and of itself. That's what it was talking about. Right. It wasn't God being mean to them. It's just that as it says here in Romans 8 and verse 7, if you are full of carnal thoughts, it's going to block the flow of the Christ mind in you. And as long as you stay on the left side in and of itself, you'll never be able, as it says there, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. In other words, you can never partake of the tree of life by living on the left side. Never. That's all that it's saying there. Yeah. So therefore, the sanctuary or this right side is our refuge when stinking thinking tries to raise it, its ugly head up. Or when intellect, reason, and logic or ego try to be in the leadership. You run for the refuge. What is the refuge? The refuge is the Christ mind. Now, I could have taken you back, I think it's to Joshua, where it talked about seven different places of refuge. Seven meaning divine intervention, right? Meaning what? Meaning your place of refuge, your divine intervention, the number seven is your Christ mind. That's where it's at. Now, go back to Hebrews 8 and verse 3, if you're following me along in your scripture. Hebrews 8 and verse 3. Now, as we see the writer defining the role of the high priest offering gifts. That's what he's talking about. They did that in the Old Covenant. In the Old Testament, you can read about the fact that the high priest, you know, would go into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement, and they would, you know, offer the blood and so forth. But let me show you the allegorical reality of that. So look at it in Hebrews 8, verse 3, for every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices Wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. In other words, this mind within us has a part to play. This man, this right side, this Christ mind, has a part to play in this. And then verse 8, or verse 4 says, Hebrews 8, verse 4, For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. In other words, what that is saying is, if this thing that is some, if if this thing is really something that could be carried out in your life from another person, 
they would not be described as a priest. So what the writer is saying here is that the word priest is purely a mystical word and it has no relationship to a person in you, but it has, allegorically, relationship to the Christ mind within you and within so me. Good. Now, an interesting thing is we've all been baptized in water. I mean, maybe there's some who haven't, but mostly most so-called Christians have been baptized in water. Three times. They've taken the communion, the, the you know, the, the bread and the wine. Many, many times. They've, some have gone through different denominational churches, had confirmation. They've done all of this. But look at verse 5. Look at verse 5 of Hebrews 8. And we're going to talk about this a little more. But verse 5 says, Who serve, all of those things serve, unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. In other words, the things of religiosity that we've partaken of in the past, and that's just where we were. There's no condemnation in that. The baptisms, the communion, the confirmation, all of these things that we did in religiosity are simply stated here by the writer of the book of Hebrews as types, shadows, and examples of a heavenly way. Because you can do all of those things and never for one iota or one second turn within all of the religious things that we have done in the past point to something far above all of those religious things. We can do all of the rituals, we can partake of all of those things, and never one time turn within. That's right. Or, let me say it this way, Paul said it in, I think, Philippians, to work out our salvation. Yes. Work it from the inside to the outside. How do we do that? By turning to the Christ mind. By yielding the lower thoughts, the stinking thinking, the intellect, the reasoning, all of those things, yielding them to our Christ mind. And then as we yield them to the Christ mind, the masculine and the feminine become subjectively joined together. Right. And we have built that throne where we're ruling over all of those That's things. Right. Now, in Hebrews chapter 6, another example of this that the writer talks about in chapter 6 of Hebrews is where he tells us to leave the principles of the doctrines of Christ. Oh, and go on where? To perfection, perfection. or maturity. So in other words, you can do all these things and still not mature because you're not turning within. They're just an external religious thing that you're doing. So he lists them. He said, leave the foundation of repentance from dead works. Well, I believe there's going to be a time, and I've been saying this lately, where we will not have to, as Paul the Apostle said, put on the mind of Christ. <laughs> oh, I love it. Right? That's repentance. That's you draw from the realm of spirit. You draw from the Christ mind. He said, leave always having to do that and abide in the Christ mind. Put on means to what? Slip into like you slip into a garment. Amen. So leave the principles or the foundation of repentance towards what? Dead works. All the rituals. Yeah. Yeah. All of the rituals, all of the ordinances, all of the stuff we, all of us probably partook of. Leave that and come into maturity or come into perfection, which is another word for, for maturity, Leave the repentance from the dead works. Stop doing the dead works. 
toward God. Oh, I'm not supposed to have faith toward God? <laughs> toward God, that's huh? the key. That's, that's the key, faith toward, toward God. Realize that it's yeah. all within. And there is, let me say it this way, there's a greater thing than faith, yes. and it's coming into the knowing, where we know that we know that we know. You exercise faith, the faith of the Son of God, when you're not sure about something. Yes. But when you come into the knowing, that's a whole different ballgame. And good. then listen, the third one is leave baptisms. Why? Because you can be dunked in water and not change a thing about you. That's right. <laughs> and laying on hands. Whoa, that's a touchy one right there. Yeah. Touchy. It is. <laughs> laying on of hands. Yeah, it's touchy. When you lay on hands, you're touching. <laughs> Absolutely. Resurrection of the dead. Now, I've told you this before. Two times in my life, I lived by spooky cemeteries. And I thought when the Lord Jesus comes back on his white horse, you know, they taught me in religiosity that the dead are going to come out of the tombs and the lids are going to fly open and all these people are going to come out and walk around. And I thought, I'm, I'm not going to be here to witness that. I don't want to see that. That would be spooky to me. So there is no resurrection of the dead as far as people coming out of graveyards. When a person physically dies, spirit goes on, you see. Nothing happens with the physical body. Let the dead bury the dead. They're dead, you see. And then the other one is eternal judgment. And we have people today that are still teaching a burning, scorching place where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth where people are going to be consciously tormented. Well, you won't find that anywhere in the scriptures. It's nowhere in the scriptures. And I've done a thorough study on that years ago. One Hebrew word for hell, three Greek words for hell, and the word eternal is really an age. For an age, we can make our own hell. It's not talking about being some burning inferno. That came as a result of classic literature called Dante's Inferno. Yes. No such thing as a burning in hell. Now, all of these things that we've talked about point to a greater experience where we awaken by yielding the left side and the stinking thing and the lower thoughts to our Christ mind, and we do not operate out of the left side in and of itself. That's the problem. Because as I said, we can partake of all of these ordinances and all of these rituals, all of the baptisms, and just come out wet. Just come out wet and never take the time to turn within and participate with what Jesus told us to do. What did he tell us to do? Seek first the kingdom of God. Where's that? In us. We read that in, where was it? Luke 17, 21. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things that you have need of, apparent need of, will be added or will be unfolded. Go into the closet. Go into your prayer closet. That's within you. Shut the door. Shut off all the appearance around things that try to dictate and challenge you. That's right. Meditate. Turn within. How many times did he say that? Five times he said, take no thought. One for each of our five senses. Take no thought. Take no thought. Take no thought. What did he want us to do when the five senses challenge us? Yield them to the Christ mind. Right. Now let me give you an example of this. Because in Luke chapter 22, and we did a whole message on this some time ago. In Luke 22, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Where should we go, Lord, to prepare for the Passover? And what does he do? Right away he goes into, when you see the man carrying the water pitcher, follow him into the house and go into the upper room. 
So what was he saying? They wanted to know where to go to celebrate Passover and have the Passover. And he just changed his horses in the middle of the stream. And he said, when you see the, water, the man with the water pitcher, and remember, men did not carry water pitchers in those days. It was the women that did. So what was he talking about? He was talking about the age of Aquarius. He was talking about a man carrying a water pitcher, and he said, follow him into the house and go into the upper room. So he was trying to get their minds off of the Passover and the importance of celebrating the Passover and where should we go to prepare for the Passover. He was really, in a sense, asking them a question. Well, have you turned within? Yeah. You think you can do all that Passover stuff without turning within? Because if you think you can, you better listen to me. Now, I've shared with you many times, and we talked about baptism. When you're baptized in literal water, and I'm not saying it doesn't mean anything because it does represent, you know, going down, you know, into the water, coming up in your awareness. Mm -hmm. See, not that we were a sinner one time, so we had to be baptized, and that represents the fact that we were a sinner and now we're a new creation. No, what it means to go down in the water represents you got rid of the old yeah. awareness, mm -hmm. and you're coming up objectively with a new awareness. Yeah with this mind of Christ that you can. And just represents that. That's all it represents. But how many people are told after water baptism, now you need to experience the five levels of consciousness that the Greeks embraced? Which was what? Earth, water, air, fire, and Christ's mind. In other words, take the earthly lower thoughts, baptize them in the mind of Christ, or the spirit of the word, the air, so you take no thoughts of the lower thoughts anymore. Mm -hmm. And then the fire of God burns them up. Yeah. The essence of Christ burns them up by spirit. And then that constitutes the Christ mind. Mm -hmm. But you see, many today in religion are just after the rituals, the ordinances, all of these things. Because it's something that, that appears to be good. Mm -hmm. See, and I'm not saying it's not good. I'm simply saying we're told to leave that stuff and go on under perfection or maturity. And how do we do that? That's what we've been talking about for what? This is lesson number what? 157. So we've been here for a while saying the same thing over and over and over in different ways. Now, flip back to Hebrews 8 and verse 6. Hebrews 8 and verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent... Yeah. ministry. There's something greater than all yeah. of what he says in yeah. Hebrews chapter 6. There yeah. is. A more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. In other words, he's saying that there's something inside of us that will explode in life and understanding if we'll just simply listen and turn within in meditation. That's what happens. Yeah. That's what he's saying. There's something much greater than being baptized. As well and as good as that is. I'm not throwing that out. I'm just saying, as good as that is, as good as communion is, there's something greater. Because you can do all that stuff and never turn within. That's right. Verse 8. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, let me give you the allegory of this. And I know that the covenant originally was to Israel. Now take it away from that. 
Originally it was to Israel, and then later on the day of Pentecost expanded to all mankind, expanded to the Gentiles, right? But here's the allegory. If we want to experience this new covenant and walk in it, be it, what is Israel? Let me read that again. I will make a new covenant mm -hmm. with who? The house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Uh -oh. So what is this new covenant with the house of Israel, first of all? Well, what is Israel? And I'm going to document this. Israel, IS, is your feminine principle. This is what the ancients believed. RA is your masculine principle. EL is the power of God. So this new covenant made to Israel, allegorically to us, is joining the masculine and the feminine together through L, the power of God, that abides on the inside of us. That is so good. See, listen, the writer was not referring to a nation in the Middle East when he talked about the Jewish people. Again, the new covenant was originally to Israel, then expanded to the Gentiles and all mankind, but allegorically to us. What did Paul the Apostle say in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, that the real Jew is? Let me read it to you, yep. in case you forgot. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Yes. Yeah. One born over in the Middle East. Yeah. Has a heritage of Jewish people. He is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. That's right. But, and I'm so glad but is there. Yeah. Like the buts. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. Yeah. And circumcision is that of the heart. Of the yeah. heart. In the spirit. And not of the latter, rituals, and that sort of a thing, ordinances, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So when he says that the covenant is made to Israel, he's saying that it is fulfilled in a people allegorically when they turn within through meditation and when they join the masculine and the feminine together. Then you're going to experience full and complete salvation allegorically and objectively. That's so good. Amen. Now, the last part of verse 8, it doesn't stop there. This new covenant, let me go back there and let me read it. Verse 8, for finding fault with him, he said, all the days comes that I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel, but it doesn't stop there, and with the house of Judah. So allegorically, you know where I'm going to go with this. Judah, in Numbers chapter 2 and verse 3, it says that Judah camps at the east on the right side. And the high priest sits on the right side. And those who bring the left side to the right side by yielding through the L, Israel, through the power of God, they're the ones that are going to experience every problem, every situation. Line up. Line up. With who they've always been and what they have always had, and they're going to bear fruit that remains. Line by line. So this covenant is with Israel. Yes. It's joining the masculine and the feminine together. It's with Judah. Judah is the Christ mind on the right side. And to me, this fulfills the scripture in Romans chapter 8. I'm not sure what verse it is where it says, all things work together for good to those that are called and those that love him. To those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And you know what purpose is? The word purpose means showbread. Uh oh What are they doing? They're eating from the table of showbread. Oh, come on! What was on the table of showbread? The bread uh -oh. and the wine. The bread and the wine. They're partaking of 
the fact that the death exposed the lies and the resurrection revealed the truth unto them that was always the truth about them. Yeah. And listen, this covenant, Scripture says, is an eternal covenant. It cannot fail, but we must cooperate with it by casting our energy to the right side. Remember the guys that caught no fish all night? Jesus comes upon them and says, have you caught any fish? And they said, not a, not a lick of fish. Not a lick. He said, cast your net to the right side. And they caught 153 fish. One plus five plus three is nine, and nine is a number of consciousness. So as we cast our lower consciousness, those stinking thinking thoughts, as we cast our intellect, reasoning, ego, and logic to the right side, the scripture is fulfilled Amen. in our walk. Amen. It's not just in our talk. I mean, we can talk a good talk, Oh yeah. but it's fulfilled in our walk. Now, look at verses uh, Hebrews 8, verses 10 and 11, because this is what I want us to see. This is the whole crux of the matter. If you didn't get anything else, get this. <laughs> Listen to this. Hebrews 8, 10 and 11 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind. That's your Christ mind of the right side. And write them in their hearts. That's the heart awareness. That's why I've said you have a virgin consciousness on the left side or a virgin womb that has never been touched by religiosity or man. Okay? So he's put the laws in our mind. Where? On the right side, our Christ mind. Write them in our heart, that place in our left side that's never been touched by man. I will be to them a God, they shall be to me a people, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. In other words, that which we must know about our Father is written within. It's not the Bible, folks. You're the living epistles. Come on. The Bible yes. confirms it. Yes. But everything we need to know has been written on our Christ mind, yeah. masculine principle, and the left side of our feminine principle in that virgin consciousness. It's all there. That's why Jesus talked about how important it was to go into the closet and shut the door, shut out the appearances, yes. shut out the challenges. Shut it out. Meditate upon the Christ mind that you have and that you are. He said it time and time again, meditate, take no thought. Now, to document what I just read here in Hebrews 8, 10, and 11, let me read to you 1 John 2, 27, or if you want to turn there, you can follow along. 1 John 2, 27, to document Hebrews 8, 10, and 11, because I like to prove stuff. Haven't you noticed? I like to document things. I don't like... I don't like your opinions, and I don't even like my own opinions. That's what religion is, the opinions of men. Yeah. <laughs> oh, See, we need the glory, and what is glory? It's, it's more than goosebumps on top of goosebumps yes. falling on the floor. Yes. I mean, I like that, but I mean, hey, it's more than that. Glory right. means the view yeah. and the, the opinion, opinion of God, of spirit, yeah, of Father. Mm -hmm. That's the opinion I want. So I like documenting things. So we read here in Hebrews 8, 10 and 11, that he has made with the house of Israel, with Israel and Judah, he has made the covenant that he has written the word upon our, upon our mind, which is our Christ mind on the right side, the masculine principle, 
and he's written it upon our heart. That's the awareness, or it's the feminine principle of the left side. It's that virgin womb that has never been touched. That's why I've said those two are already one. Yeah. Objectively, they're already one. Because you have the Christ mind in the masculine, you have the virgin consciousness in the feminine. So objectively, they're already joined. But are they joined subjectively? Not until we join them. Yeah. Not until we participate and join the two together. Yeah. And that's when you're going to tap into fruit that remains. Amen. Rather than a little healing or a little blessing here and there and it's short-lived. Yeah. But fruit that remains. 1 John 2.27 confirms what we just read in Hebrews 8, 10, and 11. And it says, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. Yeah. In other words, if the truth, if any truth that's within you is conceived, and is quickened in you. If what I'm teaching is conceived and quickened within your left side, yeah. no one thing. It came from within you. That's right. It came from within you. That's right. Because our Holy Spirit, that's the job of our Holy Spirit. I don't like when people say the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. That's so impersonal. Our Holy Spirit conceives and quickens that truth that is already within us because he's written upon our mind, masculine yeah. principle, yeah. and upon our heart, awareness, feminine principle. And all we have to do is subjectively join the two together. Amen. Now, in closing, look in Hebrews 9. I'm just going to quickly go through these. Verses 1 through 7 describes the physical church. He mentions the worldly sanctuary in verse 1. He mentions the tabernacle, the candlesticks, the table, the shewbread in verse 2. The second veil and the most holy in verse 3. The golden censer, the ark of the covenant, the golden pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded in verse 4. The tables of the covenant and the mercy seat in verse 5. And on and on the writer goes. And listen, we have the same thing today in our denominations. We've got the large edifices that cost millions of dollars. Yes! And I'm not against it. I'm just saying you can't stop with that. I'm not you against can't it. Stop with that. You've got the stained glass windows, you've got the robe, you've got the baptism, you've got the communion, you've got all of those things. I'm not saying they're not necessary or we're not necessary at one time, but it's time to leave the principles of the doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. Yeah. Now, in verse 9 here, List all of these things. In chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, where it lists all of these things, verse 9, after listing all of these things, the writer says, which was a figure for the time then present. Wow. In which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not, listen, that could not make him that did the service perfect yeah. or mature as pertaining to consciousness. Yeah. In other words, we can do all of these right. things, yeah. all of these ritualistic things, religiously we can do them, and still be asleep yeah. spiritually, yeah. Yeah. and not yeah. be awake one iota. Amen. Let me read something to you. All right. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, look what it says. Now let me read it if you don't have your Bible. For bodily exercise profits 
King James says little. This is a different translation. This one says, for bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness, turning within, is profitable for all things. Yep. Having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So what is the bodily exercise? It's not talking about going to the gym. It's not talking about lifting weights. That profits. I walk nearly five miles at least three times a day. I mean a week. <laughs> a day, that'd be a lot. A week. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I go to the mall, and I have a membership at the gym. I go there in the winter, but I go to the mall, and I walk outside at Jefferson Point in Fort Wayne, Indiana, close to where I live. And I usually walk about 10,000 to 12,000 steps. That translates out to be five miles. And I love it. That's my contemplation time. That's where I get a lot of this stuff yeah. as I'm walking and contemplating. So what it says in verse 11 here of chapter 9, talking about all of these ordinances and all of these rituals that we listed in verses 1 through 7 there, it says, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle yeah. not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. No. There are no rituals. No. There's no crystal cathedrals. <laughs> There's no Vatican's. There's no pastor. There's no pastor to cause you to be brought into spiritual maturity. Come on, Dr. They can only encourage you. They can only inspire That's you it. to desire to turn within and experience this. Yes. That's all they can do. That's it. Is encourage you to turn within yourself in meditation. Now listen to verse 12 of Hebrews 9. Neither by the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now, Leviticus says the life of the flesh is in the blood. The blood is the life. Romans says he gave his life for us. And what did giving his life do for us? It exposed the lies that we embraced and caused us to have amnesia and forget. What did his resurrection do? It gave us the ability to gather our faculties and yield them to the Christ mind. And it also was the discovery of the spiritual truth of who we have always been from before time ever began. Now, what are we doing? Yeah. We're casting our life, yep. our energy, to the right side. He did it to enable us to right. expose the lies, yep. to reveal the truth. And now as that takes place, what do we do? We cast our net. Come on! We cast our energy. That's right. To the right side. That's right. To experience them. That's right. Not objectively. It's all true object. That's but right. subjectively within our lives. So this new covenant that we have read here from the book of Hebrews is the religion, it's the rituals, it's the ordinances, it's the baptisms, it's the communions, it's all of those things. But listen... Sacrificing your inner life is what counts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Living, living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Be not conformed to the yes. religious, to the world. Be not conformed to this world of yes. religion. I'm adding those words. Yeah. Yeah. But be transformed, turned inside out, from the inside to the outside. What's true on the inside is manifested on the outside by the what? By not the renewing of your mind, but by the renewing mind, which is yes. the Christ mind. That's really what it says. The difference. word your is not there, the renewing of your mind. 
No, it's the renewing mind or the Christ mind that you bring as you yield the left side, you bring it to the right side. Now, I heard someone yesterday, Alec Martin, some of you have listened to him. He did a Facebook Live, and I loved what he said. I never, I never saw this before. And he quoted Psalm 46.10, which says, Be still and know that I am God. You know what be still means? Drop down on the inside. That's the Hebrew meaning, drop down on the inside. Another verse says, drop down and the mountain shall melt. Just turn within. So by sacrificing our inner life, it only will happen as we turn within in meditation. Mm -hmm. What happens then? The high priestly ministry is revealed. The high priestly realm is activated. The sanctuary is activated. The throne is activated. We begin to rule over those stinking, thinking thoughts and the left side in and of itself. All of that, the right hand, heaven is activated. It's all activated in our life, and we begin to experience it in a subjective way. And listen, folks. That is what salvation is all about. Objectively, you came here saved. You came here blameless. You came here upright. But religion lied to us and told us we were dirty old sinners. Now, there was some lostness here. Once we in and of ourselves embraced the religiosity and embraced the lie, but that was the purpose of Jesus in the cross, to expose the lies and to reveal the truth. And now we're discovering the truth about ourselves. And we're beginning to realize that all we have to do is just just live from the inside out. Mm -hmm. Not from the outside in, live from the inside out. Mm -hmm. Which activates, as I said, the high priest, heaven, the throne, the rulership. It activates all of that in our life. Mm -hmm. And you can see that what we have looked at this evening and what we have read is very, very vitally important. And most tonight, and this is a sad commentary, most tonight in religiosity are waiting for the pie in the sky. Waiting for some rapture. What is rapture? Harpazo, it means to love with a love embrace. If you don't feel with these truths that you're being loved with a love embrace, something something is wrong. You're dead. (laughs) You're pretty dead. But it's in the love of the hand. Now is the day of salvation. We can see that all the way through the scriptures. Today is the day to experience the very fullness of all that is placed within us. We lack nothing. We're unlimited. But you've got to intentionally desire this. You've got to intentionally turn within in the meditation. And as I've said many times, you don't have to meditate hours on end, just several times a day. Just for a few seconds, just turn within and just recognize. Mm -hmm. Recognize that Christ is there. Recognize that you have the mind of Christ. Recognize that anytime you're challenged by anything, you can run. Your refuge is the Christ mind, and you can run to that place of refuge. And you can hide. That's right. In the mind of Christ that abides within you. So I hope you enjoyed and got something out of this tonight. Father, we we thank you for this people. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for our Holy Spirit that is conceiving and quickening these truths within us. Yes that we can not just talk about it, but we can walk and experience it subjectively in spirit and soul and body. We bless you and we honor you in the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.